1: You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast network, hosted by Blake Murphy 7, all about your Arizona Cardinals. All right, and welcome in. This is the Revenge of the Birds podcast. We got our 200th episode dropping today. Thank you guys who stuck with us. Some of you from the beginning, some of you guys have uh, just found us this year, either on revengeofthebirds.com or or through any of our podcast uh, distributors. Uh, my name is Blake Murphy, as the intro said. You can follow me on Twitter, at BlakeMurphy7. And we're talking today a couple of big topics for the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, we're going to do a little bit on the Falcons game, a little bit about just maybe expect for the Niners, but a lot about what has happened this season and why. Uh, joining me as the guest this week to talk about it is Seth Cox, our site, main site guy for Revenge of the Birds. Uh, Also is the host of the I should say co-host of two podcasts got the draft breakdown podcast along with Justin Higdon and of course covering the Cardinals with the Rise Up Sea Red podcast with Jess Root of Cards Wire Seth uh, thanks so much for being on and uh, this is the last uh, I guess you could say preview episode for a Cardinals game this season. How are you feeling tonight? And how are you feeling about the Cardinals? Besides the obvious, you know, we know they're probably not going to win tomorrow on Sunday type of a season.
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's unfortunate that this was the season, but I mean we knew that coming in this was a razor thin um roster in terms of talent. And I think we underplayed how much how bad certain aspects of the talent was. Um, And so those, you know, those things combined to make, you know, what has been an incredibly frustrating and forgettable season. And now, you know, like you said, we're just kind of biding our time to find out until next, I guess, Sunday evening, Monday, if they're going to move on from Cliff Kingsbury or if they're going to Retain Cliff Kingsbury. And then if they retain Cliff Kingsbury, it's going to be the same, you know, kind of, it, it's going to be the same kind of not interested in what's going on until probably March when the draft stuff starts to heat up and free agency. But I mean, hopefully, at least in the in the worst case scenario, we're going to see a new uh, general manager with whatever's going on with the Steve Kime, and and that could bring some intrigue, right? And maybe sell some people on on being excited. But it, it's been what since Steve Wilkes, and even in the Wilkes, and that's what you know, Jess and I have talked about before. Even in the Wilkes stuff, right? You still had the Josh Rosen factor. Now you don't even have the Kyler Murray factor where you have somebody intriguing to watch. I mean, we're getting ready for David Blau again. And, and, you know, no offense ah, to David Blau. Gosh. He looks, he looked fine. And, you know, he's an intriguing backup prospect, but, um, yeah, this was a, uh, this was a tough one, uh, season wise. And, you know, between Kyler being hurt and then getting injured, um, it was a tough, a tough kind of sell on the season overall.
1: Yeah, I think, and I remember this when uh, I went and met with Jess. I believe it was after the red white practice. Just, you know, got together, talked a bit, and we both had kind of the same sentiment that all anyone we could read would talk about was how Cliff Kingsbury was on this list of most likely coaches to be fired. And we were like, he just got an extension. And I think I even painted a picture and said, all right, here's the area I could see. Let's say the Cardinals open up zero and four to start the season. And then all of a sudden temperature gets higher, things burn up. Even then you'd still be looking at left cliff would completely fail to turn stuff around. After that point, it would feel like that they would at least be able to give him another year. And, Interestingly enough, we saw them start out two and two, but they were pretty awful in those two games. And we've kind of have not seen the team do more than getting one or two wins down the stretch. um, Dropping probably their most winnable game of the year against the Atlanta Falcons on the road, uh, just the day after the college football playoff was played in that stadium. So I think the interesting thing, Seth, is Jess and I were maybe this is just us being a little bit more optimistic in times, or maybe just. I wouldn't say hopeful, but when everyone else is saying that Cliff is probably the guy most likely to go of the coaches and we are like, we can't really see that with the extensions. Was that something we should have seen this four and 12 season Uh, coming into week 18? Obviously, there's still one game to go, but kind of a spot of what was it that we were missing and how much of that do you think comes down to that? we just really didn't feel like the team's bottom was going to fall out that bad. Or were there a lot of warning signs that we probably should have keyed in to know that uh, the cliff Kingsbury extension was not probably going to pan out. And, you know, even if he does, like you said, stick around with the team, it's really, really difficult to see a place where a guy like cliff kind of gets new coaches around him. And unless things get righted in a hurry, it doesn't feel like it's going to be long lasting for the most part, especially if Kyler Murray misses the first part of the season and the team is not able to get back into playoff contention.
0: Yeah. And you look at a lot of things that, you know, were quote unquote warning signs and you just kind of go, you know, and if you need a reference, you can use pro football reference. They have, uh, their starting lineups for every game. Um, or you can go to, uh, our lads uh, Dan Chonka's site where they uh, they have all the um, depth charts right so you look at you just look at their their starting lineup on on defense right the first game and and you've got no JJ Watt you know it's Zach Allen Michael Dogby and Rashad Lawrence along the defensive line and uh Dogby is only back because of injuries, right? So um, you look at it like the, no, none of those other guys are there. You're starting Nick Vigil at linebacker because, well, why not, right? Um, you've got you know Marcus Golden's your pass rusher, and and the strength of the team coming in, and and you know what we have honestly seen the best job Vance Joseph has done has been with the secondary. And that's, you know, they started Marco Wilson, Byron Murphy, Jalen Thompson and Buda Baker. But, but you look at it, you know, there's no Zach Allen. There's no Rashard Lawrence. There's no Nick Vigil. There's no Marco Wilson or, you know, if, if I, did he play last week against Atlanta? I don't remember. Yeah, Did I week.
1: believe that it was, but if I remember correctly, at least the Cardinals really, they had Jace Whitaker played a ton of snaps. So I think that if it yeah. was, it was very limited if he played at all. Yeah,
0: and, and and then we have no Byron Murphy and no Buda Baker ending the season. So like, you know, and, and you can say like, well, you know, a lot of teams deal with injuries, but again, it's not that the Cardinals dealt with injuries. It's that they were thin to begin with so you know not have really not having any talent outside of out, outside of zach allen and jj watt rushing the passer um on the front seven really not see having anything in in you know of at the linebacker position i mean we're you just needed growth from both david collins and isaiah simmons and we've seen that simmons really isn't a linebacker i mean he he's just not that's not his strength um you know and, and so you look at all these things and and then you look at now like who you're starting and what your starters look like and you know again when a 33 year old about to retire jj watts you're clearly best front seven player that's an issue and that's and that's not a shot at jj watt he's had a very good season and if he was on a good team there i don't think there's much of a doubt that he's probably in the Pro Bowl he might make it um, with an
1: alternate just because of the situation and because of the production like it's not that right. you would just be shooing a guy with two sacks in on his last legs just as like a mercy thing like he would be able to qualify potentially if the right people were like pulling out ahead of him and that's something that's I think tremendous you guys uh, obviously talked about this is kind of his swan song type of a season that he wanted to have to go out on a high note. It's just unfortunate that you're not seeing that as the type of swan song in like a Super Bowl victory or something like the, the Peyton Manning or a Ray Lewis type of a situation.
0: Yeah, and and so that's just I mean, so you look at it from there and then and then you go to the offensive line, which is the other thing, right? And then DJ Humphrey's isn't here. Uh Rodney Hudson isn't here. Will Hernandez missed I want to say what seven or half, at least half the season. Um and then Kelvin Beecham you know, we talked about the other day that dude shouldn't even be playing. He's just trying to gut it out. Like he's legitimately just trying to get through it because it's a, you know, point of pride that he's the only starter that's made it through the season. And, and so that's the thing is like you, you came in razor thin and, and you lost all, all these players. You lost all these guys. I mean, obviously the Murray one was the, was the one that told everybody was over but you know losing zach allen um losing a rashard lawrence who's truly really the only nose tackle on this team losing a byron murphy who is developing into a um true type of lockdown corner like those things all mattered and it's just, it's one of those situations. The talent they had was never a talent where you were going to be like, um, oh, they're going to compete for a Super Bowl. But the talent they had, you were like, I could see them, you know, contending, especially this season in the NFC. I can see them contending for a playoff spot, right? Like, I could see them competing at that seven and or you know that that eight and eight right now going into the last week where they've got to win this game against San Francisco to make the playoffs. And, and yeah, you would be disappointed at eight, nine, but you're, you were in it till the end and that's three of four seasons for cliff where you're either in the playoffs or in contention into the last week. And, and the Kyler injury just basically put the kibosh on that and, and it just made it impossible. And so that's the thing, man, is like when you come in with a, a razor thin margin um, everything has to go right and you just can't expect everything to go right in the NFL season.
1: Yeah. And one of the things you're bringing up also that reminds me too, I, I did check at least it was Christian Matthew and the Jace Whitaker playing the 59 snaps at least uh, with the injuries were Jalen Thompson's <laughs> Simmons and Z- Zayvon Collins all got dinged up during the game so then you're talking about a sixth round rookie and a guy who is probably just is got a a spot carved out that he just lives in on the cardinals practice squad it seems like to be elevated for their special teams or some other need i think a lot of what's unfortunate about this team like you said is that you felt like on paper they had a lot of talent to be able to compete and while they didn't really have all that talent together at the same time it really kind of goes into a lot of what the off season in some cases and how they kind of treated some of it. I know that we've been able to hear from based on the wine ESPN article that Kime wasn't in the building as much as maybe in the past, the Cardinals, you'd feel like you'd go days by at that hearing areas. They went into this year with three tight ends that they needed to basically bring in because they didn't have anyone on the roster. Uh, you mentioned obviously like Lawrence going down, of really just having him and Lucky Foe, too. Uh, even at cornerback, you know, you can talk about how Byron Murphy and Antonio Hamilton, your two starters, are both going to be free agents at the end of the year. And, you know, we haven't even talked about JJ or uh, five of the guys on the offensive line basically being either in the last year of their deal. It feels like a lot of the areas of the Cardinals and how they constructed this roster was a very win-now type of roster. And that's probably part of when you do see a bunch of injuries like that happen, you realize that there wasn't as much long-term planning and growth for the team moving forward. And some of that, I think, falls onto Steve Keim saying you got to go for it every year, but a lot, you got to feel like it does fall onto Michael Bidwell to actually kind of commit to a rebuild that, if we're going to be honest, he probably didn't even commit to even when they did bring in Cliff uh, to be able to go with uh, a new quarterback because I don't know if they were fully going to actually start from scratch brand- with a rookie moving in. They were probably just hoping that they could fix the offense, get a couple things there, and get back right to winning. And it feels like that's a huge question, I think, with the team moving forward is, is this a you got to buy a new car? Like, this is broken, this is broken, or – do you try to keep repairing some stuff and move on and i think a lot of cardinals fans have wanted this to be a rebuild but is that taking it a step too far
0: no i think it's been the the need for a rebuild has been there and and that's the thing is when you have a quarterback talent like kyler murray you can buy yourself a down year and still potentially you know like i said compete um you may not compete for a super bowl and hell who knows this year i mean with how bad everything is who knows what you would get yeah, but.
1: Who, we may have super bowl mvp brock purdy end up becoming a thing just with how play has been the last few weeks <laughs> right and so you, you um, just look
0: at it and you uh and you should have been able to realistically put together you know a, a team over the last two seasons um that competed. Now there are I, I mean I always try to give them the benefit of the doubt. There's some things that they could not control. Uh obviously the injuries to Rondell Moore, the suspension of DeAndre Hopkins, uh you know, those those type of things, but when you look at certain aspects, there's things that just are perplexing if you're an Arizona Cardinals fan or or any fan and the lack of attention to offensive line in terms of drafting and developing and, and people always say, well, they always draft two or three linemen. Yeah. But on day three and those guys, I mean, realistically, the chances of them being successful are slim to none. They, they, their only investment along the offensive line in the last, you know, seven years has been DJ Humphreys, And then a guy in Josh Jones, who's playing really well now that he's getting an opportunity
1: um, yeah. And you rode the bench for a couple of years. And as a result, you've got DJ Humphreys locked up on a new contract when that may have been a natural place to be yeah, able move to on. take a young talent, plug them in, move on, and then be able to benefit by suddenly now you can sign another tackle either in free agency or bring someone else in if you want to, and be able to allocate that money to someone who's, you know, either going to have some fresh juice or get a one-year deal, see if the guy's able to stick. It just has kind of been that type of area of it feels like the Cardinals get very close with some areas and degrees, but it also feels like that the whole picture has not quite been there. And I like to think of it kind of getting summed up with the biggest non-move, I think, for the Cardinals this year, which was that they didn't really have a backup plan behind Rodney Hudson. And a lot of that comes down to you kind of can see the, pieces of a plan like all right you get your receiver you weren't gonna draft a rookie you got marquise brown all right cool he ended up being probably i'd say a great value for the trade obviously there's injury but up until that point he showed that he could probably be a number one receiver with kyler murray you get to round two and they take a tight end and i think it's interesting to go hey like i understand the lack of developing or bringing in a tight end Zach Ertz is 32. Like this is something that the Cardinals have not really done before and is invested into a young tight end, but it came when they had two third round picks and you saw the Eagles kind of swoop in and take a guy that they thought was going to be there with one of those earlier picks. And then you realize just how crucial that was when Rodney Hudson kind of ends up, unfortunately for a lot of fans, I think I've seen have kind of given him a lot of crap for trying to play through. And what seems to be if a guy who is retired gets called back to duty and could only make it through a couple of games because right now the, you know, I I would say that I wouldn't be like the most stunned person in the world, but I would be like very, very shocked if Rodney Hudson was even active. Don't even forget playing even active on Sunday. It just seems like that's just something that they tried. It didn't work out. And it feels kind of like there's a lot of those types of areas and moves the Cardinals have made. And this has just been kind of the year that the straw kind of finally broke the camel's back and it's all kind of cumbled down at once versus, you know, in years past, you could probably still get, like you said, some quality play, be able to see what CM1 guys have. And instead it's just been kind of a nightmare for fans to watch on Sunday now.
0: Yeah. And it just makes it, it it makes it not fun to, you know, to watch, to cover. It, it doesn't give you anything to look forward to. And then, you know, and then you do have the question of what are they going to be able to do this off season. And that's what the question becomes more than anything is like, what are the moves that they can make and how do they get better? Um, And, and there's just no clear answer because, you know, there, everything's just so murky, including the situation with, uh, with Steve Kime. And so, you know, are they going to move on from both Cliff and, and Keim, Okay. That's fine. Um, who wants the job? I know, I, you know, and, and, those are all things that you have to think about as you, as you, tr- as you go to make those decisions moving forward. And I mean, let's be honest, they outside of, outside of maybe, you know, one or two years here or there, the three-year run with Bruce Arians was the most success they've had. and And that resulted in, you know, one of the worst losses in NFC championship game history. So it's not like, it's not like there's, you know, a high bar to be set. You just have to figure out um, who wants to be here to be part of a culture change. And that's, I think the biggest question mark, you know, going to, into this off season.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's one of the areas to look at. Um, um, Let's talk a little bit with just some of the areas also on the coaching because, I think that Cardinals fans and I think you and I, we've gotten to the point where it feels like, all right, this is probably the time that you need to look at that culture change. A lot of that obviously stems from having one of the most drama filled off seasons that you can remember it. And, Unfortunately, that's carried over into the season where you've been able to see at least, like, it feels like we go every two or three days. There's something else about the Cardinals that would pop up in the news. It would just get to the spot where you would eventually think, all right, at least this week things are over. We can focus at least on the upcoming Falcons game. And then, of course, J.J. Watt announces his retirement from the NFL. In an unexpected time, it wasn't the end of the season. It wasn't even before the home game to say goodbye to the fans in a way. It was kind of going into the last two games of his career in a way that I think it wasn't necessarily blindsiding, but I think we can at least agree that he probably could play and get a new contract, go back there at 35 years old. And, you know, he may be able even to excel again for another season or two. Um, that's just one of the things I think a lot of people can look at where unlike the Larry Fitzgerald retirement, this one kind of feels and it stings in a bit because the air of Cardinals football that had J.J. Watt in it is not going to really be remembered for that 7-0 and start where we were talking about just how lucky the Cardinals were to be able to get all this talent together. Instead, it's kind of going out with a whimper, and the idea of everything that you did is kind of wrong, and <laughs> you got to start over. I feel like that's just unfortunate, at least, for not just, I think, the fans who are watching the game but I feel at least for the players in a way because it is something where if you think about how hard it is for a fan to actually sit through like you said for us to go through one home team win in the last calendar year it's got to be even harder for the players and the people who are there and that's part of where I think that reset is something that's just needed if nothing else just to be able to get a spark of hope into that building for the guys who have like Buddha Baker been laying it on the line each week.
0: Yeah. And you just got to show these guys that that you're serious about whatever it is, you know, you need to, you are trying to pursue. And that's been, um that's been a consistent issue, man. And, and, you know, like you said, when you have the mentality of going for it, it, it creates a short sightedness in, in how you do things. And I got it with Bruce Arians because of his age and, and he didn't want to dilly dally with things but like time especially with all the extensions he's got he should have he should have known that he he had the opportunity to address and and change things and I don't know if that's an edict from up top that hey don't ever make it look like we're trying to re you know retool you know so to speak um you know keep keep the perception that we're we're going for it every year and it's like any fan knew that you weren't going for it this year and and again i go back to it like this roster was built like it's it's ceiling was built to be like a nine-win team and if that's your ceiling then you're not going for it and i'm not trying to like sound negative when i say that but it's just realistic and there's nothing wrong with having a nine-win team if you're you know if your first round pick was Tyler Linderbaum, right? And now you're saying like, hey, you know, we were without DeAndre Hopkins for part, part of the season, um, you know, but, you know, we developed Tyler Linderbaum now, you know, we're expecting him to be one of the best centers in the NFL. And so what we're looking to do now next is add, uh, you know, a dominant wide receiver, dominant young wide receiver next to DeAndre. But instead, you it was a need
1: to like, I even said, You wouldn't have had to trade for Hollywood Brown if you addressed the need in 2020, if you had said, we're not going to take Worfs, but we've got a, a lamb. We suddenly have wide receiver locked up. It was kind of a spot where they figured it out the following year, drafting Rondale Moore, realizing they needed, you know, a different type of player. And then they still had a gap. And that's kind of been the same thing with linebackers where you look at Isaiah Simmons, bring him in. Oh shoot. We still need a linebacker. We got to start playing him at safety once we finally can and had to bring in another linebacker to do so. It's, very much um just this type of like you said you're going for it every year and you're almost kind of like at that point just kind of making it up on the fly and it's then not really shocking when things can fall together all at once if you're kind of putting it together all at once the same way
0: well and especially when you're not creating young uh young players to take over and that's that's one of the biggest things so you know, you look at like you talked about the wide receiver room missing on Andy Isabella and Hakeem Butler were you know huge, huge things that you can't count on, and and so you missed on those two guys. So then you had to go, you know, like you said, you had to go get DeAndre Hopkins, you had to go get Rondell Moore, you had to go get uh, Marquise Brown. Think about this, like in the time that you've had Kyler Murray, you know, who's a a you know guy that you can win with that you can you know have a chance to uh, be successful with right you have you have that and in that time frame you've continued to only address like the wide receiver position i mean andy isabella and hakeem butler butler was the hundred and third pick, but you know Andy Isabella and and Butler. Yeah. The next first, year, first you pick
1: have... on day first pick on day three, I believe at least because yeah, that's that's almost a day two talent that you're supposed to be getting there.
0: Right, and then the next year you trade a number two for DeAndre Hopkins. So in two seasons you used a two, a four, and a two. Then in twenty twenty one you used a two, and then in twenty twenty two you used a one. So you like to address the wide receiver position, and guess what? if you end up trading DeAndre Hopkins this off season, you have a need at wide receiver. <laughs> like that's the other thing. And so like you're doing this stuff and you're, you're, you're missing and then you're chasing and that's always been their biggest issue. And it goes back to the, the linebacker position where, you know, they've been chasing Daryl Washington for what feels like a decade now, because, you know, Look how good it worked. Okay. And it has, it's been more than a decade, right? So look how good it worked. Okay. Let's go, you know, let's go add Deion Buchanan. Okay. That, that, that didn't work. It was close. Let's, uh, let's go get, you know, um, uh, Hassan Redick. Okay. Well, we misplayed him for four seasons or three seasons and then lost him. Let's go get, you know, Isaiah Simmons. Let's go get, uh, Zayvon Collins it's like you continue to chase for that position and it's like man just move on take your lumps like and, and but try to address something else because in the meantime while you've wasted time at wide receiver and linebacker your offensive line and your cornerbacks and your edge rushers are awful and and, you know, now you're you have hope for Cam Thomas and my J Sanders and they played well this year for rookies. But let's be honest, like they've never really addressed the positions. And now all of a sudden they're, you know, your top guy is Marcus Golden. Like, yeah. come on.
1: Yeah, that's again, a 30 year old guy who was supposed to essentially be the number two pass rusher. And so you can then look at the Cardinals not using that third round pick to move up to help their offensive line because they knew they kind of had to get a Cam Thomas in there and had to get a MyJ Sanders in there. But then you double down on both of those players and you don't pick again until round six because you desperately needed a cornerback the year before, so you traded that pick away. It's more of just, I think, with a lot of the team building, it feels like there's two areas, I think at least, like we're talking about they have issues where they stumble on the same position multiple times in a row, and that's kind of that doubling down that it's essentially an opportunity cost you say you're going to take an Isaiah Simmons for the defensive side you're going to pass on a Tristan Wirfs it's being able to obviously fill in and get the right cost the other thing I think that we've seen with Arizona is that I feel like there's an overestimation in some cases of their guys and a lot of that kind of fits the Cardinal mold because if you look at their structure Michael is such a loyal guy but I was talking about this, at least online with someone, their scouting department really didn't shift as much in the approach when they did bring Steve Kime in. It's more that they kind of got up to par with the number of bodies that they needed. So it wasn't just Denny Green or a Ken Wisenhunt drafting with, with your cap guy. And since then, just by having so many guys who've come from within and seeing guys maybe move to other organizations who came from good places, you kind of are in a spot where there's not that many people who can tell you that, hey, you're probably not going to be best off drafting so many wide receivers year after year after year. You're just probably going to be overestimating either the needs. And I think a lot of that all stems from just you look at the Cardinals and how they've not been able to kind of put wins together. And I don't know if it's a fear of losing relevancy, but it does kind of seem like if you kind of go for it every single year and you're not willing to take their lumps – It has me wondering, like, is this kind of the year where Kyler's almost an excuse to where you're not really necessarily choosing to kind of take your lumps? Like the Cardinals have always had a down year every once in a while. It's popped up and then gone back to somewhat average. Is this maybe kind of a time to essentially just say, hey, we get an excuse now with that injury to kind of maybe burn it all to the ground, bring in someone who's going to have no expectations and... In a lot of different ways, it kind of feels like it's almost a positive thing in some regards if they choose to take that approach. And it may be the worst thing possible if they still try to force, you know, a, a guy like Murray back because they have to win now while he's coming off of a brutal, serious knee injury.
0: Well, I think the other issue has always been, you know, the idea, to your point, that you have to win every year. And I've talked about this before with, you know, San Francisco especially, Uh, with, with Kyle Shanahan, right? Like you look at Kyle Shanahan's career as a, uh, as a head coach and he was six and 10 and then four and 12. And there was never this like, oh, you know, this four and 12 is unacceptable. You're fired. Like, think about that. He went six and 10 and then four and 12 and, and the 49ers were like, no, we got our guy. And then they went 13 and three, went to the super bowl. Right. And lost. And then the next year they came back and went six and 10 again. And, and nobody really batted an eye. Like there was never like Kyle Shanahan's on the hot seat. Like, no, they were like, no, we're, you know, if anything, it was like, Oh, this is fine because we lost, you know, our star, um, that was the year that Nick Bosa got injured. Right. Yeah. So they, we, we and lost Forrest our Buckner was traded, game.
1: I believe too, as well for a first round pick and they were able to bring in other guys. This was a lot of things that they got done with that year.
0: Right. And so to your point, it's like they were allowed to have a bad year and utilize that to create a, you know, a stronger base moving forward. And, and that's the other thing too. Look at it. They probably missed on Trey Lance. They probably traded away a bunch of future picks to get a guy in Trey Lance who who looks like, you know, he they don't need him. Now, maybe he comes back and he's fine and whatever, but you know, they're they're still the number you know fighting for the one or two seed without trey lance Like like
1: mr irrelevant is in there and he actually people are saying you probably don't need to bring back a jimmy garoppolo because at worst he's going to be about the same level that you're getting with jimmy and at best you're talking about a guy who as your backup may be an improvement over a guy who went to a super bowl and that's one of those areas of there's some things you can't control that are lucky in some of those regards. There's other spots that, like you said, the culture and identity of what the Niners have kind of built around Kyle Shanahan's run game of finding a guy that was the mold in their receivers getting lucky with a George Kittle, I think at round five, but it still kind of falls back at least on that. There's that understanding at least of we know what we're doing and how to be able to fix it. And that commitment from ownership to kind of let them see it through. And ultimately You've seen with how they essentially have just gotten right back to their winning ways, despite a lot of people saying that they were going to have a down year with Trey Lance. He goes down, and what do you know? They're back in contention, in part just because they were aware of, if our starter goes down, we know we've got to have a backup. They're able to work it out somehow with Jimmy, and it's tough looking, I think, across the division because the team that is more similar, I think, to the Cardinals that we've seen this year, that's been interesting, that kind of chose to go all in with it and probably isn't going to fire their coach is the Los Angeles Rams, who've had arguably a worse season than Arizona in some ways. Now the record isn't showing it yet, but they've essentially had a year that's bad enough that you would feel like it may if this is the Cardinals, you know, like would the Cardinals fans wouldn't be talking about moving on from Sean McVay, but he's also got a level of success that the Cardinals have never gotten from any of their head coaches thus far. But they also
0: have the understanding of like hey we haven't set this guy up for we're a very top heavy team you know they're like you said they're very they're built similarly to the cardinals in all of that and so and 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 you know they're set up kind of worse than the cardinals in that they don't have any draft picks for a couple more years but you look at it they won a super bowl so you know does anybody if you're obviously not a Rams fan you think it's hilarious but if you're a Rams fan or you know if you we were if the Cardinals won a Super Bowl last year and then they had this year we'd all be like well you know that's the price you pay for actually finally winning something
1: yeah I've known enough fans that I kind of disagree like I've seen so many Rams fans who have been upset or down or frustrated or upset and it's kind of an interesting place because it's like you're right like we've talked about Arizona Wanting to get a Super Bowl, they're one of the teams that have never won. It have one of the longest championship droughts in all of sports. And yet it kind of just shows that there's a lot in the moment that just really shows that, man, we really are just kind of going through stuff day by day and not really going through with having not necessarily even a plan. But, you know, you just go on an emotional whim for the most part. You feel good. You feel bad. And I think that's a lot of the stuff that's in the NFL that's difficult to look at is because, you look at a lot of the teams that know how to do it well. And then you look at teams that have a coaching problem with a decent head coach and it's time to move on. And uh, owner hires a friend to kind of take over as an interim. And now you're seeing a lot of people get mocked excessively, even with, despite of that kind of ruining some of whatever success you might've had from what's kind of been an interesting story this year. And I know that's not necessarily the Cardinals story, but l- like you said, it kind of gets into that metaphor back of the car of What ends up being stuff that you need to rebuild from the ground up and how much of it is just kind of trying to, you know, put a new Mustang engine into this old beat up Pinto is kind of, you know, a little bit maybe of the metaphor you can can see there. And it's going to be very interesting, I think, to see at what point do you kind of end up waving that white flag and just be able to kind of give in or if you just kind of continue to keep doing things the same way. And it's that insanity of doing things over and over again, almost the same way and expecting different results each time. When I think we talked about it pre-show Cardinals get three years or so that they build up, get success. And then floor falls out from beneath them. And so like wondering why did that happen? And really we should have seen it coming.
0: Right. And the reason we should have seen it coming is because you built specifically to win and you didn't with, with no eye to the future. And so when you're like, when you're trying to fill singular holes on a roster, but the holes or but you have clear issues in other spots, it, it causes a problem. So you go back to twenty nineteen, right? So the Cardinals draft Kyler Murray; they kind of reset everything. Okay, perfect. You know they're in a they're in a position where it's now time to you know move forward, and and that's that's good. And so the next year you know you you come in and you like we said trade for deandre hopkins but you look at that cardinals uh offensive line that year right so you look at you look at who
1: their offensive line was and um where's at starting center mason cole comes to mind who's yeah. an interesting yeah. with the steelers but you look at the steelers and all their fans are saying we need to upgrade at center i'm like well that's it's uh it's not a thing i'm familiar with at all whatsoever just haven't seen yeah. that before so
0: i mean you look at it and, and the names on offense especially you know looking back you're, you're like oh this this isn't bad uh you you've got you know, you, you've you got Murray and then you've got Kenyon Drake, which is another, you know, story about why, you know, are you bringing back guys? You know, you got Fitzgerald, you got Hopkins, you got Christian Kirk. Okay. That's not bad. Uh, and then you look at it, you, you signed Max Williams for cheap. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. I think that was a nice fit. Uh, and then, you know, you come back in and, and you've got Humphreys. Okay. So you have Humphreys, you have Cole, who um, I think the year before that only started two games. So you kind of brought him in. You're like, okay, this is third year. We're going to start him. You have Puet at, at left guard, who was your big free agency signing in 2018. And then you have Jr. Sweezy and Kelvin Beecham, two 30-plus-year-old veterans. So, so you've got a fourth-rounder or a late third-rounder in Mason Cole, and then um, – who couldn't beat out aq shipley for two years and then you've got um you know jr sweezy who they moved on from him in seattle and he's one of the you know who had one of the worst offensive lines in the nfl at that time uh and then you've got an older kelvin Beachum, and and again beach has been a nice fit but you look at that and you say okay that's that's fine i mean it's year. Two of Kyler, like maybe it didn't need to be addressed right away, uh, but then you go over to the, like the the defensive side and, and you talk about these type of things, right? And and you know, you have Hassan Reddick playing uh outside linebacker finally, so so finally in a position and only because of an injury, Chandler
1: uh, Jones, yep. Chandler Jones, yeah, Chandler Jones,
0: <laughs> you know, and so but you look at like the defensive line, you have Zach Allen, okay, that's a draft pick from the year before not bad Corey peters who's 32 at the time yeah. and then a player that all of us knew was going to be a terrible signing a terrible flop that had no mm-hmm. business getting signed to the contract he did in jordan phillips yeah. and you're like i mean literally everybody's like this is a terrible terrible idea mm-hmm. and and you look at it and you're like Oh, who have they brought in? Well, they haven't brought in anybody. I mean, they brought in Lecky Foto and Richard Lawrence, but those are two fourth round like guys. Like and and so you look at it and and you're like, okay, it's it's year 2 of Kyler. You know, the, they they're still finding the adjustments they need to make. But you look at their picks, right? That and that's kind of what I'm getting at. So in 2019, you drafted Murray, Murphy, Isabella, Allen, Butler, uh Keyshawn Johnson, Lamont Gaillard, Joshua Miles, Michael Dogby. You drafted all these guys, right? Um, Go to the roster. Murray and Allen are the only two starters from from the 2019 draft. So you have no other starters from your 2019 draft. And then 2020, obviously, like I said, you traded for DeAndre Hopkins. That's fine. But – Isaiah Simmons, Josh Jones, Lucky Foto, Richard Lawrence, Evan Weaver, Eno Benjamin. So you're talking, you know, um 15 players and you have two starters? Like that's and, and so then then what happens? Well, those guys continue to cycle out. A guy like Isaiah Simmons it doesn't develop like you want and so now all of a sudden you got to go draft somebody else but not only do you have to draft somebody else now you have to sign somebody else because you're not going to play the rookie that you just drafted i say his can't do it so but you got to bring a veteran in and so it's just like this cyclical thing that continues to happen meanwhile patrick peterson's 30 never had a you know never had a steady teammate or a steady corner mate and so you're putting in a guy like drake or patrick who's 31 and had looked awful the year before and like that's just the stuff that that causes them to fall into this cycle because again it comes back to like oh you can add a frontline talent like a jj watt right in in 2021 when you end up being 11 and 6 and you look at it you know you can you can have a JJ Watt you can get a Chandler Jones back and and you know all of that stuff but all of a sudden now you look at it and you just look at the the just drastic drastic changes you know like Murray's still your starter but then you have Chase Edmonds as your running back your wide receivers are still none of the guys you drafted yeah. none of them um, outside of Christian Kirk who was you know obviously in the, the 18 draft uh, your offensive line is still none of the guys you drafted other than dj humphreys your defensive line is still only zach allen as as oh no zach wasn't starting because they, right. they brought in jj brought in jj
1: nope yeah zach allen didn't start until there were injuries later in the season that was the first time they we were like oh zach allen's healthy and He's actually starting to make an impact. This could look good. And then he blows up this year, and he kind of recognized that some of those early steps that we saw was both a combination of injuries and other places. And it wasn't quite the Kevin Minter, like, you know, sits for like three years and then starts in his fourth randomly. It was more of you could kind of see at least the team's ability to be able to draft and develop players and how guys didn't get that chance really for the most part until later. Or in the case of a Byron Murphy, you know, they kind of had to work through being the worst secondary in the NFL and then be able to make sure that you could play in a lot of different areas of strength and give him that time to be able to actually see it pay off. And unfortunately, you know, it's it's in a contract year where you get the guy for four years. And it's the same case with Hassan Redick, where you suddenly have a decision to make on a player that you probably should have known of before going into this season.
0: Right. And that's just, I mean, that's just what it is at this point. And so now you've got, you know, and that's why I said in that twenty-one season, you look at it, you end up with, with Mar- Byron Murphy, rookie Marco, and Marco Wilson as your corners, mm, and it's like, yeah, how how does the how does that happen for a team that's supposed to be competing? Oh, because you've never addressed the position,
1: mm-hmm. and because I think also you can point to, and we can, I'd say that the easiest sign I look at, of course, is you get a cheap year of Jermaine Gresham at least that the Cardinals somehow managed to pull off in order to end up paying him, you know, a deal that probably was overpaying him at the end of the year and kind of ended up weighing on Arizona's cap and suddenly kind of look at the bad decisions, other decisions. A lot of cap stuff was kind of restructured, moved down the road to the point where the Cardinals in a lot of different ways never kind of were able to reset in a way where they could then go out and spend a lot on those free agents versus being able to just kind of use a rookie quarterback contract to do so. And I think that's what you can always go back to and talk about is just a lot of with the NFL, what we see as far as with the Cardinals is they don't have a consistent identity. At their core, like the Steelers, they will draft players to fit their identity. And you can tell if they go away from their identity. But, hey, they're still in playoff contention with Mike Tomlin in part because they understand that having defense, and being able to, you know, make a lot of these different plays, having guys that they have found on rookie contracts, getting, you know, a second for a Chase Claypool for the most part, instead of having to pay a guy who's made next to zero impact uh, since maybe I think his first year it comes down to a lot of the case of the Cardinals have just not really drafted star players. And so as a result, they're having to acquire star players from elsewhere. And I think that's kind of the biggest theme. If I think I look back at this era of Cardinals football is you kind of have a star draft once or twice, but a lot of other teams are able to kind of, at least whether it's finding a larger size star or getting lucky in different ways, they're at least able to find those kind of core role players that are able to fit into some of those cogs of the machine and, it really feels like for Arizona, those guys have been Steve Kime's one year free agent signings that turn into something more, or hey, and that didn't work out, you know, with um, signing a right tackle, or so let's go out and sign Justin Pugh to a four year deal. And it's kind of been that case, I think, of like you can say, of when you don't draft star players and kind of replenish that talent, you're always making trades, always paying guys. At some point, yeah. it's we've seen it catch up at the Rams this year, and they don't have any draft picks left for the Cardinals. Fortunately, they never went all in as far as draft picks go, but then you, you kind of feel like you almost wish that, you know, if they could have at least committed, at least go and commit forward. If you're going to go through versus, all right, we're going to give up the fourth for Marco Wilson, a fifth for Zach Ertz. Who's on a different team. It really does kind of feel like there's that tentativeness of the Cardinals to never truly want to, I guess you could say, just flush the team for a season and be able to kind of commit to whatever that identity is. And I, I think that ties into the coaching stuff as well for, for how disjointed it's been at the coaching spots.
0: Well, not just that, but I think your point about what is the identity of this team and you brought in a coach who was supposed to implement an identity and let's be honest, it just never, it, for whatever reason, and and you and I have theories and, you know, once, if cliff gets let go we can we can have those conversations but the reality is the the identity never took hold and and so for that to happen it's like that that comes back to something we've talked about before about it's really hard to have an identity when your coach is not able to make coaching and personnel decisions and, and so there was no it, it just seemed like the further away it got from 2019 the further away cliff and kime got on in terms of being on the same page and then like you said with the espn report of, that he's not um uh, he's not able to or he's not in the building as much now all of a sudden you've got the reality of like oh well then who's making decisions how are how are these things happening and and it just i mean all of a sudden it just means to me that this is this is, was just not a sustainable situation but at the same time you you couldn't just blow it up after uh, after an 11-win season because you're the Cardinals and let's be honest you had never had an 11-win season or you hadn't had one since yeah 2015 it was only your second 11-win season ever
1: right and I I remember that time I think I remember talking uh we went to like the same weight loss like treatment center at least as uh, Vince Morata Dan Bickley talked to them a little bit during then And I remember that Vince said, what do you think about the contract extensions? And I said, I think that Michael's trying to fit Cliff, Kime, and Kyler together. And I think that you're trying to fit those together, but it's like a jigsaw puzzle. And those pieces, you can squeeze all you want. It's just not going to fit long term. And I just didn't think that it was going to fall apart at least so quickly for each of them. I thought it was going to be more of a, all right, we're getting the end of year two. This probably isn't working as much type of deal. And And, you know, maybe some of that even falls onto, we can talk about the coaching, since that's something I know that's been interesting as far as that's going to be the hottest topic, I think, for Cardinals fans this week. There's not as much to talk about with the game because the Niners are playing for something and the Cardinals are trotting David Blau out there and probably very few other people on their team, given the extensive injury report. I think another thing to talk about with, and maybe this goes in with the coaching staff, is... On one hand, you can say, yeah, Cliff wasn't really given the guys that he needed in a lot of ways, or there wasn't as much, um, I guess you could say, building around the identity he was going to bring. But on the other hand, you take a look at like that first Detroit Lions game, some of the other places, and even look at, like, I argued and said, hey, they're probably trying to find a mini C.D. Lamb and a mini Hollywood Brown in how they drafted Andy Isabella and Hakeem Butler. And you take a look at that and say... All right, but that didn't work. Like, whatever the identity they were trying to build toward, part of it wonders is, was this kind of just missing, at least for the most part? Or was it just, they were just, I think, building around an identity. The question is, how much of it was the Cardinals fault, And how much of it was a bad identity? And we can tie this in, I think, to how people just looked at that Cardinals job after 2018 and were like, Who in the world is going to take this job? Who's even going to be Cliff's defensive coordinator who's going to follow with this unprecedented type of hire? And I think for a lot of people, Cliff, if you look at it accurately, may have overperformed in some cases, but that kind of is what ties into with the coaching. And you can say a lot of stuff this season has been injuries and bad luck, but there's been a lot of, I think, issues that people have looked at with the Cardinals coaching that seems to be part of the measure of why people are looking at being beneficial perhaps if the Cardinals move on one way or another.
0: Yeah, and, and that's just it. I mean, we, we've we talked about it. We've had the question of, like, who's going to come get this job? Remember, they got Steve Wilkes because other people didn't want this job. They ended up with, you know, Cliff Kingsbury because um, the, uh, the Cowboys coach now, Mike. Uh, oh, McCarthy. Yeah, Mike McCarthy turned them down. And so they're like, okay. And and so that's the thing is like, sometimes you take these chances and you have to take these chances because it's unfortunately the best you can do. And, you know, so it, that's, you know, that's really where it comes down to and what it comes down to. And we'll see how it ends up. But the reality is that this is the situation where, you, you mentioned it before they, they brought out or the, you know, they, they brought or hired time from within and didn't really do much to change how the inner workings of the Arizona Cardinals were run. And in doing that, it has made it a very not, uh, uh, it hasn't,
1: it it's not a place not, you'd want to work probably is like a good way right. to put it. Yeah, I think that's
0: the best way to put it. It's just it's not a place that a lot of people want to be at. And and so that's what it comes down to is, you know, um, your old partner, Johnny uh, Venerable, tweeted out the other day, you know, the Arizona Cardinals need to come away with um, either Sean Payton or Jim Harbaugh uh, uh, in this coaching cycle if they're truly interested, blah, blah, blah. Um and and Kent Summers, who's you know covered the Cardinals for probably as long as I've been alive, um uh, at least as long as you've been alive, uh he he you know responded um that or they need somebody that's gonna change the culture, like and he listed a bunch of guys. Okay. Well but here's again the question who wants who wants to come in and, and do that and who who are the guys that are willing to give the Cardinals that chance? And do they feel like they have that ability to change the culture? And th- those are all things that I don't think it talked about enough here. And, and what I'm saying is it's really hard to change a culture. If the culture stops, starts and stops with the owner. Like when the owner, when the owner is the top guy, who's, who's involved in situations like watching film with the head coach and defensive coordinator, uh what what other co- or you know what coaches are gonna be like yeah that's what i want for where i'm at right now um uh, you know and, and especially a young guy like if you're if you're Shane St- uh station the the oc of the philadelphia eagles who's considered one of the you know front runners for a lot of different jobs is is do you want to come to a situation where the owner is going to want to want you to explain, hey, like, uh, I don't understand all of the ins and outs of this football thing, but I'm going to sit, sit in and watch, uh, watch film with you guys. And I want you to explain to me why these plays are, aren't working like they're supposed to.
1: right that's just uh it reminds me of the team that i worked for a little bit as an intern with the indoor football team the arizona rattlers the way that they said that part of why and i know you know kevin guy there's been a relationship at least that he's got with other football coaches in the valley but one of the things that stood out to me the most was the most ownership meddling that i ever saw was that his kid who was eighth grade gonna go into high school became a top you know kind of college recruit, although he was undersized, would like kind of warm up with the team. And it was fun because what ended up happening was he was kind of the ball boy for the quarterbacks then in a lot of ways. And it's like, other than that, never saw him outside of like going into the uh, regular stadium for a game. Didn't spend time in the building. Didn't go over film with the coaches. He kind of enabled this to be ultimately Kevin Guy's team. And when they were like, we want to paint this side and get a workout room equipment he would be able to give them the money to do that because there was that level of trust and I think that part of it too is just with Michael there's a level of not trusting guys that I think can be felt and that's probably I think a big reason why if you look at the last couple of coaching hires and Cardinals Don't get any of their top guys, end up with Steve Wilkes. But even the Cliff Kingsbury saga, there's a huge argument you can make now that, you know, if Cliff is offered the Jets job, you probably can say the Jets have been just as terrible in a lot of different ways with how they've set their culture. And unfortunately, at least, it seems like the Kyler Murray being eligible with that number one pick is probably a big reason of even getting a Cliff Kingsbury who is able to, in a lot of ways, like, kind of start some of that Cardinals turnaround to a point and it'll be very interesting like you said to see where it goes from here because I mean we talked about it on uh, for a long time on end I think with a a group text thread about would Brian Dable if he became available should the Cardinals fire a guy like Clef and go and get him and I think the answer that we kind of came to was at least this current iteration with the Cardinals maybe a new GM changes some stuff maybe you know seeing a lot of this stuff and hard knocks changes stuff but it just feel like at least that Brian Dable would not be a guy who would come to that 2022 Arizona Cardinals team because of that stuff in the first place.
0: Right. That was the thing is like, you know, that was a package deal for the giants. And and that's the culture change that kind of people are missing when we talk about it. It's not just the head coach, but it's a guy like, uh, and I don't, you know, I don't know who their GM is, but the guy that, was with the, the bills and obviously hired Brian that should
1: be Joe Show, I think at least I'll see. Yeah. Goes it, G- oh, it, yeah. And, and that's just, you know,
0: that's just what it looks like. And that's just who they are. And that's, you know, they're able to do that. And, and for the Cardinals, they, that wasn't going to happen last off season. You know, we knew they weren't going to fire Kyle. Um, uh, you know, and and now maybe they do fire Kime and that's a different situation. And maybe you're able to, you know, make some changes and whatnot. But like, um, you know, when yeah, Joe Showen is, is yep, the GM.
1: That's what, I and, just looked it up. I was like, oh, I actually <laughs> remembered that name. Normally, I'm terrible with names. So <laughs> yeah, and so that's the thing.
0: So like, Brian Dable's willing to go there because they brought in a guy he's familiar with, and Joe Showen, the Cardinals. W- and this is just, a you know, an open secret that's well known throughout the NFL is like a lot of guys didn't want to stick their chance in with Steve Kine. They yeah. just that that wasn't going to happen. And not so a good you, draft
1: record. A lot of obviously drama you see with Arizona in general and ultimately in a lot of ways, the closeness that he had to the owner, you already kind of saw payoff in that the 2018 season, you take a look and go, that was an awful off season, and the coach essentially was kind of having to pick up the pieces, plus the whole off-field incident, and they blamed the coach as a result, so all of a sudden, you're like, oh, so you just took everything, at least, that happened with the terrible situation, and essentially, I would be walking into that spot, essentially, it'd be like you'd have, um, you know, you know, like even a Mac Jones taking over for a Tom Brady, like the expectations already, you're just not going to be able to succeed almost no matter what.
0: Right, and so you know that that was the situation, you know, coming in, and it's just, you know, it's just a situation where I don't know what's tenable still. I don't know what's going to happen, and, and quite frankly, you know, this is a this is going to be a really interesting off season because here's the other question: what what GM from outside the organization wants this job if Cliff? if Cliff comes with it. Right. So and that's another dynamic that has to be played out. Right. So, so you fire Cliff to potentially hire a new GM. And, and if that's the case, then you better hope that it's, you better hope that that guy is like locked in. Um, the other thing that I've said, and, you know, could make sense is that if you fire Cliff, you know that you're getting Sean Payton for apparently twenty million a year. By the way, <laughs> yeah, um, and a
1: draft pick. That's the thing, and it's uh, yeah. that's going to be a whole lot to give up. But this is one of those commitments that the Cardinals actually would be making for the first time in like a long time of hiring a veteran. I think it's the first time since Buddy Ryan, who and I tell this to people all the time. Oh, De- Buddy, Denny Green, yeah. Denny Green was another one who was a veteran head coach, but Buddy Ryan was kind of that guy who had like not only just won a Super Bowl, but was had that level of. You know, respect any ran the organization, did really well, but they've never been able to hire a coach, at least who was, I guess you could say, it wasn't that he was fired from the New Orleans Saints. He kind of took this new coach method of leaving of his own accord. And as a result, like that may be one of those few times that if you do end up doing that, you're probably having to give up a lot more control than. The Cardinals have probably given a coach since I would think at least since Ken Wisenhunt went to the Super Bowl because you, you certainly didn't have that to Bruce Arians or else I would imagine he still might be coaching the Cardinals. If not to this day, having some of his guys still in place here. Right.
0: And that's, and that's just what it is. And so you have to end up having a guy, you know, that's, if it is Sean Payton, then I think you're okay. If, if you promote from within right. And Adrian Wilson's your GM because realistically it's going to be sean payton's show and he's going to be telling you who he wants and what he's looking for and 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 a guy like a guy like a dub is going to be adjusting to meet those needs for him but you know it's a tough situation man and and there's a lot of question marks and it's just going to be interesting to see how it flows from here
1: absolutely uh let's go ahead and kind of just start wrapping up with a little bit we'll talk a bit about with the Ah, just the upcoming, there's a little bit with the Niners game and what little we have left to look for. But I thought that this week we're going to be talking about Cardinals against the Falcons, if fans should be rooting for the team to win games, looking at like the players. The Cardinals have lost now six in a row. A lot of fans I know, I even said that I felt when I looked at the, I think it's tankathon.com, I said there was kind of a sigh of net maybe relief, but I realized that the Cardinals could have gone from the fourth overall pick, which is arguably a pretty good spot, to the ninth. And in a lot of cases, it's weird because you don't want to lose to necessarily say that that's going to help you build a winning culture. I thought that was going to be the big topic. Instead, there was just this kind of growing push from a lot of people and the fans about wanting to move on from DeAndre Hopkins, about having to be able to trade him. And I did some research and saw that he's got a no trade clause, but it was also kind of a weird area of this is kind of considered one of the greatest draft trades of all time, or I should say trades in general, of just David Johnson and a second and a ham sandwich for Hopkins. And we saw the impact almost immediately for the Cardinals and the Texans. I just think that Hopkins, obviously, since he's got that no trade clause, it may be more his decision if he wants to stay with the Arizona Cardinals. But I thought it was fascinating to see how, and maybe this is something that I've seen with a lot of Cardinals fans, because it was kind of reminiscent of You know, in earlier times where Larry Fitzgerald, the loyalty sticking around, when a player like a Chandler Jones wanted to go and get paid on a different team, it felt like there was almost this sense of betrayal or this kind of area of wanting guys to be loyal to you in that regard. And I find that kind of interesting because it's like, oh, if DeAndre Hopkins wants out and I'm like, all right, I just don't think I'd be willing to give up a player who, granted, he's going to be 31 next year. There's obviously been some either health or maintenance has got a knee issue the last 2 weeks whether or not that's a part of him being able to stay healthy and not risk serious injury for for next year that it does kind of feel like there is an interesting fickleness specifically with Cardinals fans and I don't know if that kind of reflects a bit of the front office or if this is just kind of a world that we live in now for the most part of you know what you can do for me wearing my red and white colors versus you know person wanting to kind of pursue the best interest. It's It just was interesting that to I me mean, that that was the biggest takeaway that I think a lot of people had after that Falcons game and with the news that Hopkins, you know, wasn't going to play in the season finale either.
0: Yeah, and, you know, it's one of those situations where I think one of the things that needs to happen, and it's been really tough, is that the Cardinals need to develop a identity in a culture where guys want to be at Mm. and and that's not obviously what they've done so it's for a guy like hop who is a good teammate in the sense that he always works hard he always works his butt off like those situations you know he's gonna be he's going to be there but the reality is he's not loyal to a team he wants the chance to be, he wants the, the chance to end, you know, with numbers that are going to get him a gold jacket.
1: Yeah. And, or, or get a ring, even for some people would say, like, you go to Arizona, people looked at their setup. And a lot of times, I think, you know, there's obviously you want to go to a winning team. And that's one of the things that a lot of people looked at as the Cardinals had the opportunity. And we did see a lot more wins over. The past few seasons, like if Cliff Kingsbury stuck around for the rest of his contract, he would probably be like, if not the most one of at least the top five winningest coaches in Cardinals history because of how this organization has been. And it just has been a spot of, like you said, there is a fickleness, I think, to it where you just end up looking at the players and can say that unless you accept that it is kind of a mercenary league, you're going to go to whatever team kind of either gives you the best opportunity or pays you more because at the end of the day, they're all kind of in that same national football league. It's not like you would choose to go to the XFL or something like that. There is definitely a difference that players have to think about themselves and for a player like Hopkins, not just their wallet, but their legacy in the game.
0: Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's what it really comes down to. And and hop is one of those guys that looks at the big picture and, and, you know, if maybe it's that he doesn't see it with cliff, or maybe he knows cliff is out and is, thinking well i don't know if i want to stick around for this you know i'll make a decision once i find out who the gm and coach is like all all those things come into situations and so we'll see what ends up happening man but yeah the reality is that you know a guy like hop he's done everything outside of the obvious getting popped for the p the pd he's done everything that you could have asked for him to do for this team to be successful and it's just unfortunate that you know it didn't happen and so we we turn on him like but it's crazy i mean you know like you said people want the larry fitzgerald situation but the larry fitzgerald situation's unique in the sense that you know Larry was getting paid money that nobody else had ever been paid before Mm -hmm. in that situation. Yeah. Because they didn't trade him
1: to the Eagles. Like we would have an entirely different narrative. if The Cardinals had accepted that trade request at the time where they had to, you know, make a decision on paying Larry Fitzgerald and it turned into uh, one of the largest quarterbacks, or I I should say one of the largest non quarterbacks deal we've seen in NFL history.
0: Right. And so that's, you know, that's all what it comes down to. So, you know, I, I have no problem moving on from Hop if he if he doesn't want to be here. I think it's a situation where he's, like I said, very clever and he's he's paying attention closely to see if he still wants to be here. And and it's not a decision that's in his mind. But I can tell you, at this juncture, he probably doesn't want to be here because he wants the numbers that he's putting up, but he also wants to be able to compete. And and he he doesn't know if that's where this is headed. And let's let's just be honest: who can blame him?
1: Right. Absolutely. Uh, Last thing before we kind of get out of here tonight. Now, uh, instead of just talking about anything with Cardinals Niners, like it feels we're in a spot of there's nothing really to look forward to into the game. Like uh, it's a spot where if the Cardinals go out and actually like pull together a strong win against a team like this, then obviously you'll credit the team. But as far as the ability for that to happen, it kind of reminds me of the home game that I went to at the end of the 2018 season. You're playing, this, you're playing the Los Angeles Rams. You got blown out completely by a Sean McVay team, lost like 30-9, to nine, and it just kind of felt like that, that was going to be the cap on the Steve Wilkes era in some different ways because you just kind of knew that one way or another someone was going to have to take the fall for that season because it was more than just a Mike McCoy type of issue. Is there something where when we're looking at this game, where we assume that the Niners are probably going to win, they've got something to play for, it just feels like there would be kind of a crazy thing is a lot of it is probably going to be looking past this game to Black Monday. So I think the question then is, what kind of do we think happens on Black Monday, but also what kind of should happen on Black Monday? Because in a lot of ways, you could argue and say that the Cardinals looking at stability, being able to extend guys, having kind of a commitment to some of those ideas. Since they've never given Cliff a shot, it's kind of a spot where in a lot of ways I said – I like Cliff a lot and seen things that he's done. And I had a friend tell me, at least the other day, they said, until I saw hard knocks and looked at Cliff, I thought that this was this guy who's like coach bro, sipping martinis in the back room. And they realized like, he's kind of doing his best at what he can do. It just hasn't really either been the right timing or just hasn't been able to give enough to that. So in that case, if they do fire Cliff and kind of clean house or move in a different direction, is that what is probably going to happen on Black Monday? And should that be the case for the Arizona Cardinals?
0: You know, I I talked with Jess about this. It to me, it's it's seriously is a coin flip because, like I said, there's so much to take into consideration. One, like I said earlier, I don't feel like Cliff's ever gotten to be the guy, right? To like put forward what he wants from this team, and then, you know, I and so, but if the GM hire that keeps cliff is just a dub or, or Quentin and again, I don't mean to, I don't want people to think I'm taking shots at those guys. I think they're fantastic at what they do. They probably, you know, deserve a spot somewhere, but like realistically until it's, until it's someone from the outside, the culture is still going to be the culture. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's what I come back to is like, I, you know, if you're wanting a new culture it's got to be it's got to be something different but the reality is too i don't know who's going to want this job i don't know who's going to want to come in and try to change this culture and then i also quite frankly don't know if they're you know willing to pay the absurd amount that it's likely going to take for them to to change that culture so those are all questions i have i think you know i do think that we'll find out quickly what everybody thought of this situation, mm-hmm. good or bad, um, whether they keep him or not. Like I said, though, I think it's a coin flip, man. I, I legitimately have no idea. I'm not, I have no insight to where they're heading with this because, and, and I, I don't know what the correct answer is. That's yeah. the other thing. Like I, I truly don't know.
1: Yeah, I I feel like there's times you can at least tell from just whether it's the fan base or maybe even just from media covering it, there seems to be kind of a spot of, I don't want to say that they kind of make it happen because I don't think that's accurate, but there ends up being a bit of a, maybe a sense of foreboding or something. And it feels to me like in a lot of different ways that I think that you're right on about what probably should happen. And this is, you know, you can... You know, quote it all you want but until it actually happens it makes a difference but there's the whole Michael Jackson song about like you know looking in the men in the mirror making a change and I, I think I agree with you of this is kind of a season where Michael Bidwell's kind of had to take a look in that mirror and realize there's not something that's been very pretty in that Cardinals team that they've spent all these years together and kind of finally assembled like this version of a team to kind of go on and be able to compete the last couple of years and At most, you kind of have an 11-5 and record and a team that's got a lot of regret at the end of all of it. I think there is going to be some form of a change that's going to have to be made, and maybe you're right about maybe that type of a change isn't something that's going to be possible until, you know, ownership kind of makes some changes or commitments. I've said I would prefer to at least have him go and hire a team president at the end of the season and then kind of make that as the sign of stepping back a little bit just to kind of make it more public that that's going to be kind of the indication of things changing a little bit by actually handing some of that power over uh, but maybe there is a little bit that comes up to with luck like you know, the rams didn't change out their gm and their owner stayed the same for the most part they had all sorts of other drama but they were able to bring in a culture changer on offense who was young with juice who has a brilliant memory but they also were able to bring in a former cowboys head coach wade phillips to basically run and perfect a really good defense for a number of years that able to get them to one Super Bowl and win another. And I think at the end of the day that this coaching hire for the Cardinals is probably going to be one of the most, you know, we can say this every time as a coaching hire. But at least in this one in particular, given that Kyler Murray is still at 25 years old, coming into one of the most, off I think I should say one of the most important off seasons of his life of having to go through never been injured before having to kind of rebuild having to maybe even you know learn that he can't bail out of the pocket the same way that he did as far as being able to have to go through in a different spot with potentially new offense this is going to be like a very very important hire for the Arizona Cardinals if they do move on from Cliff Kingsbury and even to that degree if they keep Cliff you could say that that general manager decision whether it was Dub or Harris or they do move on over there. That's going to be just as important, I think. So it is one of those dramatic stories, I think, that, you know, on Black Monday, what I hope for is that the Cardinals go in and we're able to actually see, uh, you know, some things that we could say is starting to change the culture.
0: Yeah, and that's that's the biggest thing is they have to figure out what the culture needs to be and what where they want this culture to go. And they need to give whoever the head coach is that the opportunity to instill the culture he is looking for. Um, and and that's the question I have. And if it's Sean Payton, I think that they're going for that. If it's not Sean Payton, I hope they give Cliff the chance to at least instill what he wants and be the culture that he wants, you know, in that situation.
1: Yeah, absolutely, at least. We'll see. There's going to be probably other names that pop up for Black Monday, but that will wrap it up for us. A, It's not the happiest, I think, show or edition, but when you've lost six straight and you're going up against a team that's playing for the number two seed, it's kind of hard for the most part. I know there's going to be plenty to talk about with this offseason here on the ROTB pod. Uh, before we go, Seth, if you just want to kind of go and shout out, plug some of the work you do, I know you've got a – awesome draft breakdown podcast that you do the original draft breakdown podcast mind you uh for a lot of our listeners they're going to be listening to draft content almost as soon as the season ends and we hopefully know who the new coach is Uh, why don't you go and do a shout out at least to where people can follow you with some of that uh stuff you do with justin as well as uh, your show with jess
0: yeah so i mean the original draft breakdown podcast uh we're on any you know any of the sites you listen to podcasts we do have a patreon if you want to follow $2 Two dollars a month gets you all our extra podcasts. Four dollars a month. We wrote about every single bowl game, prospects to know in, in those bowl games. Uh it was a lot of fun. It'll be a lot of a lot of content coming up over the next uh four months as we get ready for the twenty twenty three NFL draft. And you know, if you're a Cardinals fan, that's there's a lot of good stuff in there. Um, Justin and I tend to slant more towards Browns and Cardinals stuff just, because that's we follow. but um You know, and then and then, you know, on the Rise Up Sea Red podcast, you know, Jess and I've been doing it for nine years now and it's just it's one of those situations where we just, you know, the things that we talk about on text we just end up talking about and for whatever reason people wanna hear what we have to say and it's it makes it enjoyable.
1: Yeah, absolutely yeah thanks again for joining seth always you can check the workout at revenge of the birds i can also attest to i've been a subscriber on that draft breakdown podcast as well it's more content and i read as much draft content as i can when it gets to draft time you guys have got so much out there for that it's really an awesome way to be able to get prepped for all the other stuff but that'll be it for us you can follow our podcast again at revenge of the birds.com as well as on twitter got our show uh twitter account that's at ROTV pod as always you can follow me at blake murphy seven drop me a line excited to talk Talk about what could be maybe the start of a new era of Arizona Cardinals football, or at least let's hope that it is. Uh, for Seth Cox, I'm Blake Murphy. Thanks again for joining us today, and go Cards!